Welcome back to another episode of Rock and Ramble Podcast. You're here with your hosts, Andrea. And Victoria. And this week, we are talking about a band that we thought we knew, and we didn't know as much as we thought we knew about this <laughs> band. I'm talking about Boston. I'm going to take you by surprise and make you realize, Amanda. <laughs> I can't do it without laughing, so. All right, fair enough. Okay, so this week's episode, uh, Boston actually comes to us via our very first are you ready for this i it's a surprise i didn't even mm-hmm. tell you about it but this is our very first mm-hmm. listener request <laughs> yay, yay big deal <laughs> it is a big deal no that no, wasn't sarcasm I, I mean it it's a big deal it's exciting oh no no no, no I'm, I'm agreeing yeah it's it's really exciting so this um listener is adam hovey Hey, he is the one that provided us with the awesome intro outro mm-hmm. music that we have our theme music that you hear in the beginning and the, the end of our podcast. He provided that to us via Chop Busted, which is the artist that created that music. So Adam is Chop Busted. Um, so thank you, Adam, for that. We love our music. We love Thanks, Adam. you. <laughs> and this episode is dedicated to Adam. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Boston. He was saying that Boston's like one of his favorite bands and he doesn't know a whole lot about their story of Boston. So Adam, get ready because they're a (laughs) lot crazy. (laughs) Yeah, they have a lot more going on than I anticipated. So we'll just jump right into it. So Boston was formed around 1969. It was in that general time period. Um, And... Obviously, they were formed in Boston, Massachusetts, <laughs> which they were mm-hmm. aptly named after. They released their debut self-titled album in 1976, and that album went on to sell more than 20 million copies worldwide, and it's still one of the best-selling al- debut albums of all time. Wow, so I, I didn't realize to, yeah. that. Yeah, um, and from... 1976 to 2013, the band released six studio albums and one greatest hits compilation, which mm-hmm. will come back into play. Um, but I just wanted to kind of get that information out there because um, even though the band has been around for so long, for like close to 50 years, they only have those six studio records, um, which is kind of low for a, a band that's mm-hmm. been around for that long. So we're going to talk about that. Um, but the reason why they're so well known and they're so well liked is because of that debut album that they had that just like was off the charts. Every single song on that album was a hit. I've been listening to it over and over and over. It's so mm-hmm. good. Um, so if you haven't listened to Boston by Boston, go do yourself a favor, listen to it. It really is just like smash hit after smash hit. Mm-hmm. So starting with more than a feeling too. So you can't really go wrong with that. Yeah, that okay. has to be like a universally known song too. Right? Oh, it is absolutely. Yeah, yeah, especially after Guitar Hero. I like yeah. everybody knows it after Guitar Hero now. Yeah, there's some <laughs> songs that are for sure like because of that right game. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay, so from the beginning, the band has had two consistent members, and it's been Tom Schultz and Brad Delp. So we're gonna start with Tom Schultz, okay. and. 
yeah, Tom Schultz was the musical genius behind Boston. And I'm not just calling like he's a literal genius. Um, <laughs> he was born March 10th, 1947. He did mm-hmm. not have at all like the bad boy rocker background that we're used to seeing with bands, mm-hmm. especially of this era. <laughs> mm-hmm. This dude, for all intents and purposes, he was a nerd, like a big old nerd. Yes. He was he was tall he was gangly and like you know tall gangly guys they they make good rockers a lot of the the rockers out there are tall and gangly and they make you know women's clothing look really good <laughs> yeah but <laughs> this guy he graduated from mit with hey. not only his bachelor's he graduated from mit with his master's in mechanical engineering and okay okay yeah and he worked for polaroid for several years as a senior product design engineer before even pursuing a career in music. And yeah, I was just like, what? <laughs> like most <laughs> of these guys, like you look at like Lou Graham, who granted he was in a band before that, but like when, he, right before he started working with Foreigner, Lou Graham was like making $35 a week as a janitor. Mm-hmm. And the, it's There's just like all kinds of backgrounds. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just crazy. You would never think that this guy this like if you're working at polaroid and your your boss then goes on to be in boston you're like what <laughs> that guy yeah like, it's that's funny it, i just wonder about like his co-workers that must have been really interesting for them <laughs> so moving on he graduated from mit he worked at polaroid um around the age of 29 he had already started to create like a home studio in his basement um and this is where he re- would record what would become the demos for Boston's debut album. And he performed most of the guitar, the bass guitar, the keyboards, all by himself. He did all of that. And in 1969, he was looking for somebody to come in and do vocals for him. And that's when he met Brad Delp, who auditioned and got the part. So Brad Delp was the vocals of Boston. Mm-hmm. And so together they played in a band called Mother's Milk. <laughs> and yeah. So Mother's God, Milk so was. Immature. Oh, I know. I laughed at that for too. I was like, oh, too close to home. Too close to home. <laughs> still so, fresh. Still. <laughs> well, I mean, not I in all sense of the home. <laughs> Sorry, we can keep going. <laughs> we have young kids, you guys. We have young kids. Okay. So. Together, they played in Mother's Milk, along with Barry Gaudreau and Jim Mazdia. And it was during this time that John, that Tom Schultz had been sending out just demo after demo after demo and trying to get a record deal, but he was just getting rejection after rejection after rejection. And then come 1975, the group was finally signed to Epic Records, but it was contingent on them performing a live show for the record execs to see if they could replicate the sound from their recordings because in their recordings they had they were so heavily produced by Schultz that they had like um, layers of Delp's vocals where he was like harmonizing with himself and they had layers of um, like I guess the musical composition itself the like I said Schultz was the one that was doing most of the instrumental part And so he was just, like, layering it on top of each other. So the record execs were like, well, hey, like, this sounds great on tape, but can you Mm -hmm. do it live? 
And yeah. so they gathered, yeah, so they gathered a couple of guys um, and they went ahead and did the, the show for the, the record exe- execs and they succeeded. They were signed to Epic for a six-year contract and that included them having to make 10 albums over that six years. And that made me think, yeah, and that's not, that was like a standard contract back then. So like early, mid 70s, um, which we've talked about this before, like, man, these, these bands just really pump out these albums. Well, mm-hmm. looking at this, it's like they had to, they didn't really have a choice. The, yeah, you know, the contracts that they signed probably had it in there that, yeah, you have to put out this many records in this amount of time or yeah, and yeah. I'm pretty sure, okay, so I, I don't know specifics. Maybe I shouldn't mm. even bring it up if I don't. But I'm pretty sure that, um, especially a long time ago, weren't the bands, like, considered in debt to the record company because of how much money the label would, like, front for all the production mm-hmm. and music videos and all that. And so yeah. that's why so many, like, bands or artists went bankrupt, even though they were yeah. super successful, is because they were they still were. so much in debt to the record company and not mm-hmm. truly getting all that money. So... That yeah. contract or those kinds of contracts mm-hmm. are really like crazy to think about now. Detrimental. That's just like a huge chunk of your life that like you yeah. can't just be like, oh, you know what? The music isn't coming to me. Like you'll be mm-hmm. kind of screwed over. I mean, you're and obviously not fulfilling the contract, but still. Right. It's, that's exactly it's what we see happen to Boston. So we'll we'll kind of get there and, and talk more on that. But yeah, it's. It's like a double-edged sword. Like, you want to get signed that... They want to get signed so they can get famous and recognized Mm -hmm. worldwide. But also, once you're signed, it's like your proper... Your music is no longer your music. You're, Mm -hmm. like, working for the man now. And that's... We've talked about this before, how they... Some of the bands, like, just kind of rebel against that. And and Boston kind of did. Which brings us to... Prior to releasing their debut album epic records wanted boston to re-record their demos with producer john boylan and tom schultz just thought this was like the stupidest idea <laughs> he was like why do we need to re-record this it sounds great blah, blah and so he got together with boylan and they hatched this plan where schultz would end up going back home to his basement studio and mm-hmm. he would spiff up the demos and make them sound all nice and shiny for the record execs, while Delp and the rest of the guys went with Boylan to the recording studios, like in L.A., and worked on some stuff there. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't actually the the re-recording that Epic wanted. They wanted all fresh uh, takes mm-hmm. on everything, but it wasn't. Um, and while they were in the studios, that's where Delp wrote and uh, performed, and they recorded let me take you home tonight and let me take Mm -hmm. you home tonight yeah and um so that was that was the only song on that whole album and I say that whole album it only had like eight songs but it was the only song on that album that Delp wrote solely um everything Mm -hmm. else was Schultz and Mm -hmm. so whenever they gave the record to Epic they were like here's the re-recorded you Mm -hmm. know Uh, record it really wasn't so basically that debut album by boston is the same Mm -hmm. demo recordings that were done in schultz's basement (laughs) with him doing most of the instrumental stuff Mm -hmm. and it was funny i had read like a little article where schultz was saying that 
epic and this kind of goes along with you like saying how the uh, record companies spend money on them and then they're like indebted to them so they had uh i think they had asked epic to make like uh brad delp a a customized guitar for him to use so they spent like thousands of dollars on this customized guitar for him to use in the studio while the recordings the actual um demos and the what ultimately became the record itself the instrumental was done by schultz on like a hundred dollar pawn shop guitar or something (laughs) (laughs) and so it was just kind of funny the he was they like pulled one over on the record companies um like pulled the wool over their eyes if you will and so especially they considering how it came out or how you said it's like one of like a huge album yeah. for them then like good oh for them like, yeah exactly i mean that that just again shows you how good schultz was at what he did and he really was like a perfectionist um the other yeah. thing i noticed is when you first mentioned or first started talking about them you said they formed in 1969 right that's, mm-hmm. I think that's the earliest band we've talked about so far. So I wonder if contracts changed very much within that like 10 to they 15 year span. Maybe because they didn't get the record deal until 76. So oh, okay. it was like later 70s. So I I don't know. But it, it did say that that was like a pretty standard contract for that time. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, but one thing, another thing that sets Boston apart from other bands of their era is that Schultz, he received producer credits on that album. Hmm. And that's, like, super crazy to think about. Like, looking at the other guys, the other bands that we've done so far, they're more, like, we're the talent, you're the ones that put it together. Like, we're just going to do our thing. And But, no, Schultz was, like, all in, like, I'm the talent, and I want to be the one to produce it and make it sound Mm -hmm. a certain way. Mm -hmm. so and I want credit for it too (laughs) Mm -hmm. and he got it he got it so that um debut album Boston is the producer credits are John Boylan and uh Tom Schultz Mm -hmm. um so following the success of that first album Epic was really pushing Boston for another hit and Schultz being the perfectionist that he was really despised having the label like breathing down his neck And he just wanted to make music on his own time and at his own pace. And Mm -hmm. they ultimately released their second album, Don't Look Back, in 1978, so two years later. And even though it was behind the timeline that Epic had set for the Mm -hmm. band, Schultz said that he still felt that it was rushed and he was not happy with the end product. Um, And that supporting tour in 1978 and 1979 was described as like less than enjoyable by the band and yeah because they they liked playing their music but they felt like the label was becoming too controlling of their every move and they just really did not enjoy those that year two years that they had to be on tour and so when they got back from that tour they I guess Brad Delp was like yeah I'm not down for this anymore I don't want to do this anymore and Tom Schultz was like yeah me either this really sucked I don't want to do that anymore and so they wanted to take some time for themselves and just kind of chill but Epic was like pushing 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 we need another hit from you guys and so they tried to incentivize Schultz back into the studio by withholding royalty payments to him 
<laughs> and their parent company, CBS, even sued Schultz for being uncooperative. And Jeez. we'll see that with Boston. Like, this, they're a very litigious band. And <laughs> it's, I don't know if this happens a lot with bands, and we just don't hear about that. But Schultz ended up countersuing for unpaid royalties, and he ultimately prevailed in that one. Nice. Um, yeah. So it was during that time that he signed with MCA Records and they like CBS was like hey you can't do that and they filed like a cease and desist but then he won the um, the suit against them his countersuit and so then everything basically he was like a free man Boston's free wow. so they signed with MCA Records mm-hmm. and they worked on Boston's third album which was called Third Stage and that one wasn't released until 1986 so from 78 to 86 is when this was all happening Mm -hmm. and um that third album really i mean it was good it didn't do nearly as well as the first Mm -hmm. or second album and but that's the one that features the hit ballad amanda which Mm -hmm. we sang at the beginning of the song so and wasn't it on our power ballads list it was yeah so second reference now i know and i don't know who amanda is but (laughs) (laughs) she's there um, so Brad Delp around this time, it was like the early nineties that was released in 86 in the early nineties, Brad Delp left the band and he was replaced by a man named Fran Cosmo and Boston released their fourth studio album called walk on in 1994. And Cosmo is the one that sang on that album, but Delp came back and eventually rejoined the band and then the the two of them like shared vocal duties for the supporting tour so they just did that together Mm -hmm. and then in 2002 they released their fifth album corporate america and 2002 wow yeah 2002 (laughs) i know isn't that crazy it's like they go from 1976 to 2002 um Mm -hmm. so they have long long gaps but remember Mm -hmm. after their second album they're no longer in that that six album contract yeah They're out of that contract. Um, So 2002, they released Corporate America. It's their fifth studio album. album. But what's interesting about this is that Schultz, Tom Schultz, he actually uploaded the album. I believe it was to mp3.com. I actually (laughs) didn't know there was such a website as mp3.com. But um, he uploaded the whole album under the pseudonym Downer's Revenge instead of Boston. Because he was worried that the music scene had changed too much and that the public wouldn't respond positively to the new music from an old band. And Mm. I guess it ended up being good. Um, And so they went ahead and released the the album as Boston under um, Artemis Records. Um, That was the label. The record label was Artemis. But Schultz ended up suing Artemis. (laughs) For inadequately promoting the album, and the digital mm. copies were then pulled. So, man, again, just a whole lot of litigation going on here. Yeah, um, and we're only like five albums in, and so they ended up releasing like a greatest of uh, somewhere in there. I think it was around this time, and then after that, they only had one more album. But reason why is because on March ninth, two thousand seven. Brad Delp took his own life at the mm. age of 55. So he was the lead yeah. vocals for Boston. Yeah. That's sad. Um, 
Yeah, and this this is, gets a little crazy. So he didn't really give a reason for his suicide other than that he had struggled with depression since he was a teenager because um, he, he had left several notes um, for, for different people. Um, and many people, including Delp's ex-wife, Mickey, placed blame on Tom Schultz for being Ooh. too demanding. Yeah, being too demanding of him and marginalizing him. They were saying that Delp was always complaining about the stress that he was under from Boston breaking up and having to be like the middleman between Schultz and the other members of the band. And like there was just a lot of bad blood. And so mm. she was basically saying like, it's his fault. And she insinuated that in an interview that she did with the Boston Herald and that the, the stress from the band breaking up and the building demands from Schultz is what led him to make that decision. And so Schultz filed a defamation suit against Mickey and the Boston Herald. Um, but mm-hmm. I think he actually lost those. So mm-hmm. just, I guess he figured mm-hmm. he'd done pretty well with... Uh, with other lawsuits. <laughs> with other lawsuits, so why not do it again? But yeah, that one, I mean, it's just, it was really, really sad. Um, but a lesser known theory, and one that made a lot more sense to me is and it goes along a lot more with the timeline and again this is just the craziness that i never knew went with boston and you don't really associate it with the band but it just was there and i had to you know include it because it was it seems like a a really integral part to this is that okay so brad delp at this time was engaged to pamela sullivan and that was uh before he this was like 2006 on he was engaged to Pamela Sullivan actually I don't know how long they'd been engaged but he even emailed um Brad or Tom Schultz earlier in the year letting him know about the engagement and asking for time off from Boston for his wedding and his honeymoon (laughs) and I guess Schultz was like oh yeah that's great I'm engaged too congratulations to all of us (laughs) um so things seem to be good with them anyway Um, so he was going to get the time off, all that, but according to Schultz, um, oh yeah, according to Schultz, he wished nothing but the best for Delp and his bride-to-be. But Pamela's sister, Meg, was actually housemates with Delp. They'd been living together for, Hmm. like, past couple of years, and according to Meg, they were very, like, platonic roommates, very close friends, confidants, if you will, and... When he found out that Pamela had had an affair in the summer of 2006, yeah, um, Meg was there for him. She, you know, was one of his confidants. Um, but it never got beyond platonic. Um, she had a, a boyfriend who was actually a sound engineer for Delp's um, cover band. He had a, a Beatles, like, tribute band because he was obsessed mm. with the Beatles. And mm. it was called Beetle Juice, like B-E-A, mm-hmm. Beetle Juice. And so he was, um, her boyfriend was the sound engineer for that band. So anyway, uh, she was there for him when he found out that Pamela had had an affair. But then things got really, really weird that next year when on February 28th, 2007, Meg found a hidden camera in her bedroom. Oh. Yeah. So she confronted Delp and he admitted that he had planted it. He apologized <gasps> profusely. Yeah. 
and the remote this date is very important February 28th 2007 so he apologized profusely and he cited the affair it was like a very confusing time for him along with his ongoing depression that he just had like this lapse in judgment and Mm. he sent her several emails like pleading for her forgiveness and Meg's boyfriend Todd the sound engine sound engineer for Beetlejuice told Delp like hey man like you need to come clean with Pamela because it's not fair for Meg to have to keep this from her sister and like you need to just come clean so he yeah so Delp said that he would do that and that was like around I think it was like March 5th or so Mm -hmm. he said that he was going to talk to Pamela instead based on the receipts he had started buying stuff to take steps to end his Mm -hmm. life um, and he had done that by carbon monoxide poisoning. So there was like nice. duct tape and filter and stuff that he had had to buy. Um, so he had left several notes, um, for his family, for his ex-wife, for his, um, his fiance, Pamela, and then also one for Meg and Todd. And he was reassuring them that it's no one's fault and that he even said, like, Pamela was his ray of sunshine, but sometimes even a ray of sunshine is no substitute for a good psychiatrist, which I thought was really mm-hmm. sad. Yeah, um, sad. So just, like, really, really crazy twist of events um, and a very sad ending to a phenomenal singer. They called him the man with the golden voice. Like, his, I mean, he his range was just out of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, but... What was a sad ending for one man became the incredible beginning of a journey for another man. Yeah. (laughs) Another twist of events. Enter Tommy DiCarlo. Tommy was a credit manager at his local Home Depot when he heard of Delp's passing. So he wrote and he performed an original song in honor of the late singer. And with the help of his daughter, DiCarlo uploaded the song to MySpace, along with other covers that he'd done of his favorite Boston songs. And he also sent the recordings to Boston's management. So lo and behold, he's contacted by none other than Tom Schultz himself. Whoa. Yeah. And Tom Schultz invited him to come sing at the Brad Delp tribute concert. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it was a concert that I get, his two kids, they had put together. It was called like Come Together, the Brad, Je- Brad Delp tribute concert. And Aww, that was and it's a Beatles reference. If you exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, gosh, it was like August, I think, when they held that, like August 19th of 2007. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so DiCarlo was one of several singers performing at the concert. Um, the guy who was on their, um, what was it, like their fourth album, uh, Fran Cosmo, he had a vocal injury. He wasn't able to perform, so they had, like, guest singers come on, and DiCarlo was one of them. And it was such a success that Schultz actually hired him to tour with the band for, like, their next 50 dates or something like that. Wow. And... <laughs> Cut to today, DiCarlo has been performing with Boston ever since then, and he wow. even provided vocals on a handful of songs of their most recent album, which is the only other album they've recorded, Life, Love, and Hope, which was released in 2013. Wow. So like, Talking about shoot your shot. <laughs> like I know, right? Like that just look what happened. It's wow. incredible. It just goes to show that something incredible can come from something so tragic, and... Mm. 
I'm just like imagining being a lifelong fan of this band because he was like a fan since he was 12. Mm-hmm. And then going on to be the front man for the band that you love for it's been like 14 years like they're still touring I just saw yeah and it's just life-changing and so whenever I I read that whole story I was like what (laughs) it like it's so it's so tragic what happened to Brad Delp and and Meg Sullivan and and that whole thing and then just for something so good to come out of that is mm-hmm. it, it's just I don't know it, it's kind of like uh, words can't really describe because you never like he never would have had that chance probably you know um mm-hmm. so it really did change his life and he, <laughs> he this guy he was like I saw the interview uh, maybe we could put a, a a clip in the the show notes but <laughs> it was an interview that like a local tv station had done of him because he was like i said he was just like a credit manager at his local home depot and Mm -hmm. so they were at home depot interviewing him and i don't know if it was i guess it was like right before the concert or something and he was like yeah i'm just i'm really excited (laughs) you know and he had he had short hair he looked like a dad and now cut (laughs) to today he's got his hair grown out he looks like a match Yeah, Yeah, I know. But it was like he had a wife, he had two high school kids, and now all of their lives are changed. And I'm sure he's still got that same wife, hopefully. (laughs) That reminds me, uh, we talked about that movie before, Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg, right? Like where he comes in. That's exactly what I thought of. And also, it's another Mark Wahlberg movie, but not that, where he's the football one. I can't remember the name of it. But like, the football team's doing terrible, and then they're like, hey, you should try out. (laughs) And he does, and he ends up like, I don't remember. Marky Mark always like, saves the day. Is it the Eagles he's on? He's in Pennsylvania, right? I don't know. Anyways, um, that's what it makes me think of as rock star. And mm-hmm. then they just happen to both be Wahlberg yeah. movies. Yeah. But no, that's, that's exactly. Yeah, that was exactly the movie that. Because I don't know what year that movie came out. Probably mm. right before that or something. But I, I was like, I wonder that. if that movie was like a little inspired. I never actually did go look. But um, what a what an incredible journey for the band Boston that I had no idea the the background that they that they had going on here mm-hmm. um and now for them to still be touring and I don't know if they're still making new music their last album was almost 10 years ago but if you look at the <laughs> if you look at the span of time between their albums who knows they could be coming out with I mean, something yeah. so yeah, yeah. Um, it um it shows. It's as similar to Mark Wahlberg's fictional character in the movie Rockstar. Um, Tommy DeCarlo's leap into lead singer for Boston reads like an every man's dream come true. <laughs> um, but it so, doesn't sound like it's based on that one. It looked like it when, was based when did on, the movie come out? Um, let me see. Because this all happened like two thousand one. Oh yeah, so that was way before. <laughs> Okay, yeah. it just happened to happen. Be... Yeah. Following. Yeah. It says but, based, on, um, based on what? Based on Judas Priest? Oh. Well, we got to, I, I mean, we were going to do Judas Priest at some point anyway. Now I'm like really curious. <laughs> I guess they'll be coming up sooner than later. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't um, know anything about Judas Priest either. Me neither. I mean, I know what their lead singer looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a couple songs I could sing to. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, um, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So, so so now you said they're they might be recording, but for sure they're touring. Yeah, there were some hints like put out by Schultz that oh we might be coming out with some new music and like I was saying given their their record their track record for waiting like eight <laughs> plus years between their albums it could be um, that you know they come out with with new music but he's the only original member um, yeah. really it was only him Tom Schultz and Brad Delp that were the two. Cons- like consistent members throughout the history of Boston. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that is Boston. Adam, I hope you enjoyed learning about them a little bit more. <laughs> uh, I know I did. Uh, even though <laughs> it was a, a sad story, there was some a lot of interesting stuff to come out of that. So, again, just crazy story with that. But it, that's really what I enjoy doing about this podcast is like, we we don't have like I I didn't know anything about Boston's background. Yeah, I just no. knew that I liked their music, mm-hmm. and so now I'm like, oh, now I have a lot more context to go on. So hopefully you do too, dear listener. <laughs> yeah, I do like knowing more. I, um, I went to the mall the other day with uh, Mila, my my daughter, and we went to one of the stores, and even in the kids section, I mean, you we've both seen it where it has like the rock and roll T-shirts. Well, in this oh, kid yeah. section was all rock and roll t-shirts. And I was like, Ugh. I'm so excited to just like tell her like about the songs one day or like, yeah. oh, did you know Mick Mars was, you know, the, I don't know, just like the yeah. people and stuff. And I mean, also, I think it's interesting because every time I and they're really popular for tons of people to wear right now, whether, you know, uh-huh. you're a fan or not. Oh, and yeah. I just want to stop people and be like, hey. Hey, if you really are a fan, you should totally listen because <laughs> did you know? And I really like that's what I think of all the time. And I'm not trying to like shame people who wear them because wear what you think is cool, wear what you like. Yeah. But it is really cool if you're wearing it and you happen to also be a fan yes. of that band because it's hard to gauge now. Like I feel like oh yeah, it wasn't as or... big before mm-hmm. or like when we were growing up. I feel like the no, Led Zeppelin yeah. and the Pink Floyd shirts were all the time. Like those have just been yeah forever but it really but, wasn't yeah but it was like other than that if you saw a band show you're like oh my gosh i like that band too and you could talk mm-hmm. about it without like and it had to be from guessing. like when they actually toured because they weren't really available <laughs> like yeah the the zeppelins and the you know um pink Floyd yeah i just think Beatles. now it's kind of hard because there are some i mean there's so many that do look cool and they just mm-hmm. have that like cool classic look but um yeah i just it's like exciting because like seeing people um and i stopped someone my my sister-in-law's um, son, or so my nephew, sorry. Oh. Um, yeah, he was wearing a Motley Crue shirt, and I'd had a few drinks when I saw him, and I was like, hey, okay, so do you actually like the band? And I shouldn't have asked like that. And he was like, yeah, they're actually, like, I, I actually really love them. And I was like, okay, so we have a podcast. And I was like, and did you know? And I'm, like, telling him all this stuff, and he's like, wow, that's cool. But I just, I was just, like, so excited. You're like, yeah, out. Motley he's Crue. Yeah. Out. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if he's listened to it yet, but yeah. See, mu- oh, music cool. just brings us all together. What's funny is that I've had <laughs> I've had numerous conversations in my head, <laughs> like playing out that exact same scenario where because for my birthday, 
my sister Megan, she just got me because of this podcast. She got me a Led Zeppelin shirt and a Death Lep- uh, Death, <laughs> a Death <laughs> Leopard shirt, and so those are two shirts that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like them. I was and I'm. It's just funny that I always I had this scenario play out in my head where I'm like wearing my Def Leppard shirt and like some older gentleman like stops me <laughs> and confronts me. Well, it doesn't have to be an older just an older person. I just when I played it out in my head, it was an older gentleman, like a very judgmental gentleman. Oh. And he was he'd be like can you even name like five songs that some old like, like rock not purist off their, yeah <laughs> not off there like um not pour some sugar on me yeah and like in my in my scenario i'm like i can and i can do you one better i can tell you blah 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 blah, blah. Yeah. and like just like go off spouting facts and like and did you know about this and did you know that rick allen blah blah, blah and like yeah just like go on and on and like, like our of version of a dance off of like you thought I had nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but I totally get that because it, but like in my head, I play these scenarios out. That makes I'm sense because I get like automatically defensive too. Or like I feel yeah. because I know other I think it's part of like just kind of who I am as a person. Like I know other people. I've seen other people give others shit about something. So I'm like, oh, God, what if that happens to me? And what if, like, what are my steps? How would I respond? Yeah, because, and there are definitely people who hate on, you know, the guys and girls who wear those shirts. And they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you don't even know that song or know that band. And it's like, (laughs) also just let people wear whatever they want. But I I never wanted, I don't like to be that person anyway. And any like, yeah. oh, I I probably know a lot more of those than you do. Like, who yeah. are you? I don't want everyone to be that person. But also, I'm like really scared of like, oh, what if someone does catch me? And you know, and I I think I only own shirts of bands that I'm like really into anyway. So yeah, I don't see how that would happen. But I it's definitely crossed my mind. Like, oh God, what would I do? If I that know. scenario ever did play out, where somebody asked me like, do you even know Def Leppard? I'd be like probably in reality (laughs) oh yeah i do i actually really like them (laughs) you should listen to our podcast (laughs) yeah (laughs) like and subscribe but in my in my head i i school them and then i shame them for trying to shame me (laughs) yeah shame shame that's funny no so also if you are one of those people who listens or doesn't (laughs) listen and you wear one of those shirts this is a good excuse to just grab a few facts about them and yeah. wear those shirts, even if you don't want to hear the music, which you totally should, though. It's like great music. But totally. I mean, you can just listen to our episodes and be like, fact, mm. fact, fact. Now I know, sucker. Check, check, check. Yeah. <laughs> and just hope that we have actual factual information. Actual factual. Okay. <laughs> so um, this brings us to our one hit wonder episode or segment oh, yeah. our one hit wonder segment and i'm really excited for my one hit wonder choice it's the promise by when in rome and it's the one that's like i'm sorry but i'm just thinking of the right no, way to say. Say. i know they don't sound, sound the way i plan them to be but if you wait around a while, I'll make you fall for me. I promise you. I promise you. I did not know the name of the band. Because you said it, I was like, oh, shit, another one I don't know. But I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. But that's what makes them a one-hit wonder, right? Is that True. you don't know, and then you're like, oh, okay, I didn't know who that mm-hmm. was. 
but yeah um <laughs> i watched the music so they're a british band um i'll tell you just a little bit about them mm. oh uh, i want to hear about the one hit wonder tell me a little bit of yeah, information please yeah, so The Promise by British band When in Rome um, is a three-piece. It's Clive Farrington and Andrew okay, Mann on vocals. Clive Farrington and Andrew Mann on vocals, and then Michael Florial or Floreal on keyboards, piano, and backing vocals. And this song was released in the U.S. in 1988, and it reached number 11 on Billboard Hot 100. And the music video for it is so, so on brand and so cheesy. But it, it's hilarious to me because the two singers in the band are couldn't be more, like, polar opposite. So you've got, uh, I don't, actually don't know which is which. I'm going to pretend okay clive is the one with like the like lustrous beautiful hair and then andrew is bald (laughs) and yeah and it's they both have like great voices but the funny part to me about the music video is that every shot of the one with like the lustrous hair every shot he's like looking down and then he like does a hair flip and it's Mm -hmm. like all about the hair and then like Next second, it goes to the dude who's, <laughs> like, just singing straight. And actually, like, yeah, I think he's the one that does, like, the harmonizing vocals. And so he, he does a great job on that. But I just thought that was really, really funny, the way that they edited that video. And it's so 80s. It's such an 80s video that I love it <laughs> so much. Um, but, yeah, that song, it gets stuck in your head makes you want to sing it over and over like I'll sing it and like hum it to myself randomly whenever I'm Mm -hmm. cleaning and Mm -hmm. that's like one of the my kind of go-to songs for my that plays in my head no um but the piano player he Michael Florial I hope I'm saying this right Florial he lives in Dallas now so hey yeah all the way from UK to to Dallas so welcome You've been here for a very long time. Welcome. Uh, welcome to Texas. Thanks for coming. So that is my take on Boston and the promise by Win in Rome. Do you have anything to add before we close it out? No. I <laughs> <laughs> not. Um, no. No. We're good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Rock and Ramble Podcast. As always, you can find us on uh, Spotify and I was going to say Yelp. (laughs) I don't think we have a Yelp, but if you want to rate us, like... (laughs) Rate us on Spotify. I think that's supposed to help us, actually. And follow or subscribe to us on Spotify and I think Apple Music and all those. Yeah, whatever platform you listen on. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can, like, not only give us five stars out of five stars, hopefully, but you can, like, write a little blurb about us or, like, word of mouth, guys. We really appreciate any <laughs> any um, feedback that y'all have. If you, like, Adam, he was like, hey, man, have y'all done uh, Boston yet? Or can you do Boston? Yeah, absolutely. This one's for you, Adam. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if y'all are listening and y'all were like, oh, I want to hear about Judas Priest, let yeah. us know. That'll I'm be the next one we do. Because we are 
going to cover everything at some point, so why not yours now? I mean, there's pretty much a limitless supply of bands we're going to cover, bands and artists. Like, there's oh, yeah. so many we could get into um, from 70s, 80s, and, and beyond. That's what makes this so exciting and so enjoyable. So, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, rock out and ramble on. <laughs>